Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Belanger. Today's episode is brought to you by Manscaped. The NHL, well, they did announce that the hockey season was going to be coming back for the 2021 season. Let's hope it does. And with the NHL being the best league in the world, you have to remember that Manscaped is the best company in the world when it comes to below the waist trimming, okay? They've sent us over a promo code HB Sports. You can get 20% off your order. Personally, I like the Lawnmower 3.0. I use it every morning in the shower. No more nicks, no more bloody messes. It allows me to have a clean shave down below and walk out that door with just a little bit of confidence, just a little bit of edge. You know what I'm saying? Remember, use the promo code HB Sports to get 20% off your order. Head on over to the website now, manscaped.com, and you have to start lighting the lamp this season with Manscaped, all right? Perfect package 3.0. That's another great gift. Still not too late to get for your loved ones. Okay, remember, one more time, use the promo code HBSports, get 20% off your order. Snowy day out there in Halifax, or at least last night was here in uh, in Halifax, Nova Scotia this morning. I'm sure that you are up early shoveling, and now you're, uh, hopefully you're sitting down having a glass of tea, having a cup of tea, excuse me, maybe having a cup of coffee. I don't know what you're doing, but hopefully you're warm inside and, and having a good time. Or maybe you're an outdoorsman, so maybe you're out hunting and listening to the podcast. Maybe you're, what can you be doing outside in the winter right now? You could be sledding. I guess you wouldn't sled and listen to a podcast, but whatever you're doing, I hope that you guys are having a great time and we got a great podcast for you to to hopefully kill an hour of your day and uh, and give you a little bit more information on a guy who has been highly recommended, uh, not just this past week, but probably for the past year. He's been a, a gentleman who, who's been, you know, like I said, recommended to come on this podcast, John Greenwood, the assistant coach for the Halifax Mooseheads. And when people recommend John to come on the podcast, they, they give me a couple of reasons. And, and the main reason is his hockey IQ, his hockey awareness. They say that John is one of the most brightest individuals when it comes to the development of uh, of a player when it comes to the game of hockey. He's taught at every level, peewee, bantam, midget, uh, self-made coach, and now he's at the Mooseheads level. I think one day he'll be in the NHL uh, with the path that he's going on. He actually coached McKinnon in peewee and bantam, so they have a close relationship. I know Nate bring John up a couple times on the podcast, so I'm excited to have John on. He's coached some amazing first-rounders for the Halifax Mooseheads organization top of my head it was uh Ehlers uh Zadina Heischer Baron and uh in Meyer so you know just having those guys in your resume it's pretty impressive uh I'm excited to have John on it's a time off for him it's a time off for me there's no hockey so we've been trying to line this up for a while but since the Mooseheads aren't playing right now we found time in his day to uh to come on the podcast so I'm excited to have John here remember I'm Justin we're talking to or no we're talking to we're on the high button podcast I hope you enjoy here we go you know what comes Next. Boom, we're going, John. How are you? Excellent, Justin. Thanks, man. How was the shoveling this morning? Did you make the kids do it or did you do it? No, my kids are uh, young and we try to not make them soft, but they're still too soft. They're (laughs) nine and six, so uh, they watch out the window, but uh, it was a grind for everybody this morning, but... uh, (laughs) It's close to Christmas, man, so we're in a good mood about it. It's uh, absolutely. It's, it's nice to look out there and see it. When I'm younger and I, sh- my dad's like, hey, Justin, you got to go out there and shovel. I'm like, no, no, no. But as soon as you move into your own place, you take pride in it. You're like, no, I'm going to be up early. I'm going to be shoveling. I'm going to be the first guy out the door doing it. I, I love doing it now. Yeah, I got to be honest. I'm I'm a snowblower guy normally, oh, yeah? too. But uh, <laughs> last night, I went out to get ahead of it. Got a quick shovel in last night to think it would uh, lessen the load this morning. Yeah. And then I find the shovel just quicker. You have the snowblower. It seems good, but got to go to the garage, get it out, start it up. I'm like, you know what? I can just grab a shovel and get it done pretty quick. So. Here's the thing with the snowblower. My dad had one, so I, when I lived at home, I, I did the snowblowing. Sure. But then what happens is the neighbors come out. And then the neighbors go, oh, Justin, do you mind just, and then it's the next neighbor. And the next thing you know, you're doing the whole street. That's the thing with the snowblower. Yeah, it's hard to be there with your snowblower and looking at an older neighbor shoveling and not go over and help, right? So I don't uh, mind, though. It's okay. It's the workout in. Of course. So how are you doing? How are you doing with this time off? Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's unusual for sure, but yeah. I, I think since it's unusual, or I mean, I can, can't speak for every coach. I'm trying to enjoy it a little bit. You know, there's yeah. not, not very often you get a lot of time off in December, and uh, uh, and have that time off with your family is pretty nice. Normally, we get a decent break. We get a week at Christmas time, yeah. but. Uh, uh, my wife's a teacher, a vice principal now in elementary school. My okay. kids are young and in school, so we're going to have a bunch of time off together. Normally, I would have a week, and we're back at it, like, say, December 27th. They still have another week off from school, yeah. so that you're kind of sucks, and you're kind of going back to work, and, they're still, and they still have time off. But yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. You all right? <laughs> Excuse me, man. Yeah, so we're going to enjoy it as much as we can. You want a water? Uh, I got a coffee. I'm good. Okay, sounds good. Take your time. <laughs> no, it's okay. 
Um, yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely a weird time right now. And I, I think of sports, well, it's, it's a sports podcast and yeah. you think of coaches, you think of players and you think of the dynamic that everyone's having to go through, um, for yourself being a, a coach for you know, a prestigious hockey team, like the Mooseheads yeah. right now, you know, what's it been like the, the culture in the room since training camp all the way to now, the, mm-hmm. I don't want to say culture, but maybe the, the dynamic of, of safety protocol, does it, does it change anything? Does, uh, yeah, I you, mean, you know, like I would say a lot of stuff has changed off the ice you know like a lot of things are different this year off the ice you know make sure you have your masks on guys make sure you're washing your hands make sure you're staying apart make sure you're following all the guidelines every rink you go to yeah um even little things how we uh we're only supposed to have so many guys training in our gym at a time you know normally you do a team workout in the gym now it's in groups of six you know so we have little guidelines like that the way we travel and stop to eat we you know we sort of stopped going in restaurants you pick up your food to go all the time so little things like that so those things have changed i find other than uh, coaches looking goofy with a mask and eye protection on the bench, I mean, other than that, the hockey's hockey. I mean, once the puck drops, it's it's hockey. Practices are practices. Um, I find the hockey itself is is pretty genuine and to the point. And it's just yeah. sort of all the other stuff away from the rink that you got to kind of remind yourself and remind the boys of all the time. But otherwise, it's it's hockey, and we're trying to be as normal as we can. What's the feel like in the Scotiabank uh, Arena? I've I haven't been in there. How many yeah. people are they allowing? Two thousand? It was nineteen hundred. Yeah. So what's yeah. the feel like in there? I, I still yeah, haven't been. It feels like nineteen hundred. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. I mean, it's uh, it's you know, I've been fortunate enough to be there through some pretty big crowds. So to, to not have those is, it's still something. And I know our team does an amazing job of putting on an in-game performance. You know, they try to make it as fun they can uh, yeah. for families, and they have different uh, stuff on the on the big screen during TV timeouts. So I mean, they they do their best to to keep the entertainment value high. Yeah. But it's yeah the I mean you see a lot of empty seats. There's not a ton of noise, of course. But I mean the NHL players went through it too. They played in an empty place too. And uh, for for us as you know as athletes and as coaches, you're kind of focused on what you're doing and yeah. you kind of block that out uh, as much as you can anyway. So. You got to be every everything every conversation that we have on this podcast now is just the topic is being grateful. You know when Doctor Strang came on the other day and he was talking about like homeless people like they're opening up the food court so they can be warm and and that kind of hit home. It's like oh there's people out there looking for warmth and when we're here complaining about not enough fans in the stands it's like you got to put things into perspective so when we're playing hockey we're playing hockey there there's so much in life to be grateful for and when you look at other scenarios in life no question i know the first the preseason game started and they said okay you guys got to wear masks and uh, these eye protection these goggles which look like something you buy at kent to use a <laughs> chainsaw <laughs> with or something you know what i mean and i'm kind of thinking like what the you know like you honestly for a minute you catch yourself like this is stupid as hell you know but then you're like all right listen if this is what we got to do to play yeah you know that's it's not a big sacrifice to make so yeah. but yeah then you got to worry about uh, i mean i'm not a person that wears glasses but people wear glasses talk about their glasses fogging up from the mask so we started like taping down our mask to our face to try to get a bit of a seal oh, yeah, there so the, the air doesn't come yeah, through yeah, yeah. it sounds goofy but uh you know, we, we've tried to do stuff like that because then you get your goggles fogging up on the bench and stuff. And uh, depending on what rink you're in, it can be cold or warm. But anyway, those are little adjustments. Again, yeah. if that's if that's something, if that's the hardest thing I got to do to make sure our league can keep operating, our team can keep playing, then there's there's nothing to complain about. I'm sure A-Rai's all on top of the boys. I loved when he came on. He's a great guy. He was, yeah. That was a great podcast. That guy's passionate about what he does. Yeah, he is, man. He loves it for sure. And uh, we're fortunate to have a, a staff full of those types of people that are really good. Uh, our therapist, Robin Hunter, is great too. I mean, Robin's the one with grabbing the medical tape and taping my mask over my nose like uh, my mother sometimes, <laughs> right? But I mean, uh, no, we're lucky to be surrounded by, by people that love what they do. Yeah. Um, when we announced yesterday that you were coming on, we got a we got a lot of feedback, a lot of uh, lined up questions to ask. I don't really write down notes; it's all in my head of what to ask and where the direction this I think this podcast should go. Yeah. A lot of uh, the common trait of when people brought you up yesterday was um, a self-made coach, and I, I th- it took me a second to like realize what the hell is a self-made coach. Everyone's self-made, but then people started sharing your path and and where you were to where you are now and how you grinded through the system. Obviously, that never happens without passion and, and a love for what you do. Yeah. Um, I guess just talk about that. Someone told me you're back in Pee Wee mm-hmm. AAA and you were coaching Nate and Cole Harbor. Yeah, yeah. You talk about that time to now and, and have you changed as a person? Have you changed in a coaching style? And I guess talk about the process. Yeah, I guess when people say that term, that self-made, it means that I, I don't know, I, I never planned to be a coach. I never planned for this to be my living. You know, I uh, a lot of guys that coach... Uh, at higher levels are guys that had really good playing careers then they stop playing they're looking for something to do they become coaches they have great experience they want to share and there's guys that coach in major junior it's their first coaching job they they stop playing they start coaching and they're coaching at this level yeah um when you don't have a great playing pass that, that's not the way it works you got to kind of grind your way up a little bit and again that was never my intention yeah i started coaching with my brother adam uh, who's who's eight years older than me so when i was 19 
he was in his mid twenties. He had been coaching minor hockey for a few years, and you know I was kind of not sure I wanted to play anymore. I was being more of a full time student. He said, "Why don't you try uh, coaching out?" So yeah. started coaching, and uh, yeah, Pee Wee and Cole Harbor, and uh, I think just my would have been my th- second or third year coaching. We had Nate as a first year Pee Wee, and uh, you know we knew who he was. Of course, he had 132 goals the year before in Adam. So it was uh, you know it's not like it was like oh who's this guy in tryouts. We kind of had a pretty good idea he'd make the team uh, as a first year, but. Um, yeah. And then that just, you know, obviously that's a bit lucky. You get a player like that come through and, and you get to coach them. Uh, we had a lot of good players though. in that time in my first couple of years coaching, we had guys like Stephen McCauley, uh, Brendan, oh, yeah. Brendan Duke. Uh, we had some pretty good Mitchell Maynard guy that guys that play Bayers junior university hockey and pro hockey that sort of, you had uh, a peewee players. So yeah, I guess from there I was just a university student. I started coaching minor hockey. You don't, I, you know, I didn't start at 19 or 20 coaching peewee double A and peewee triple A thinking I'm going to coach in the NHL. You know, that, that wasn't yeah. the purpose. It was like, Hey, this is fun. You know, it's something to do a couple nights a week. You're used to going to the rink a couple nights a week to do whatever. This is fun. It's something to do uh, on top of going to school and working or whatever. So yeah. started doing that. Uh, my brother and I coached together for four or five years. He okay. took some time off, uh, uh, he had the young family at the time before I did, so he took some time off. I joined on with a few other guys, uh, Charlie McLean and Dave Peters, who were coaching the Bantam team in Cole Harbor back mm. then. Uh, so Adam and I were coaching the Peewees, and they were coaching the Bantams. So I joined on with them for the Bantams, which would have been Nate's uh, real first-year Bantam. So he played one year of uh, Peewee with us, and then he went up and played Bantam as a, as a second-year Peewee age. And then I went with the guys the next year. So I ended up coaching him basically his first-year Peewee and uh, his second-year Bantam, which would be his true first-year Bantam before he left for Shattuck. So... Yeah, I've no. I go back with Nate till he was, you know, that eleven years old or whatever. Seeing him at that age, and uh, we've obviously kept in touch over the years, and uh, still try to help him out when uh, when he's in town and able to skate and and uh, uh, go out and pass some pucks for him when I can. Yeah, he was talking about when you guys were pushing pucks. He was like, it was brutal. There was nothing to do. It was just like you and him. And I thought he was like throwing shots at you. I was like, what are you talking about? It was bad. He's uh, like, he could do that too. That'd be fine. But uh, but no, it's uh, we've we've obviously kept a pretty good relationship. It's gone from sort of a, a coach player relationship when he's a kid to sort of you know peers now we're just sort of buddies and uh, we talk about all kinds of stuff and uh, but no there's obviously a trust factor there you, you, you know he, I'm sort of uh, the first guy he will text or call if he wants to get on the ice and do something and you kind of build a relationship of what I kind of know what he likes to do on the ice what he likes to work on how, how much he likes to push himself so there's a I'm not out there trying to impress him with uh, what what I know oh look at this new cool drill, drill I got I kind of know what he likes to do what he yeah. likes to work on I'm just trying to help him out as best I can um, I was also told that your hockey IQ and, and your awareness for the game and how to develop a player is uh is above average and when it comes to you know the game of hockey and especially at the junior level you know there's not ego in the room but there's a lot of different personalities and some guys come from midget and think they're all that in a bag of chips and you think of a organization like the Halifax Mooseheads and how long you've been there I'm not giving you all the credit but yeah, there's definitely some credit mm-hmm. going to yourself of getting I, I, it's like five first rounders in the NHL maybe yeah. I'm wrong five yeah I don't know. I, I kind of want to go back to the Pee Wee days and, and ask you, you know, what was that first little bit of coaching that, that hooked you to it that went, oh, okay, wait a second, John, you have a little bit of an act for this. Like with me, the podcast, like I got great reactions from people of questions that I asked and that hooked me. Yep. And now we're at episode 300. What was that element of coaching that go, oh, okay, I'm good at that. I can get through to this guy. How do yeah, I? Yeah, I, I should explain that better. So the whole time I was coaching minor hockey, I was a university student and I was going to school and I was going to school to be a teacher. So oh, I, I, have an, okay, I have an okay, education okay. degree. Um, I taught for a few years uh, before I, I uh, coached the Mooseheads full-time. I was teaching at a private hockey academy. Uh, that, uh, Nate was a student there, too, so again, another tie to him. But like he was a st- one of our students at the school, so I was actually teaching him in the classroom in the morning, then on the ice with him in the afternoon. Uh, we had guys like Matthew Highmore came through that program as well. So we've had a few, uh, a few really good players come through that school. So... That background, I, I, it certainly helps as a coach. Everyone says coaching is, is teaching, and of course it is. But, I mean, it's that was molding. sort of what I wanted to do. I, I, you know, if you would ask me at 22, what do you think you do? I'd say, oh, I would love to be a teacher and coach on the side, and, and that would have been fine. And, and I've sort of molded that into, into one role. But I think my, co- my educational background helps coaching for sure. I have a pretty, I'd say, laid-back approach. But I, I guess one thing, if, I, if you're ever to – talk about your strengths a coach is an uncomfortable thing to do is I I think I can explain things pretty well I can explain things and I think what players want today is they want it just black and white tell me where to go what to do and why they want to know why because they want to know why this is going to work yeah but they just want it to be simple clear and simple not okay if this happens that no if this does you have to read it and do this like they that's if there's too much gray area it's confusing Um, I think a lot of times in hockey there's things that have to be spontaneous, that have to be creative, but then there's certain things with positioning and where you want guys to be, that it's it has to be this way, this is why, this is why you show it, and, and they do it. 
And if you're clear and direct, uh, you're going to get buy-in and guys are going to trust and believe in it. And then when they get success doing it that way, that helps, of course, too. That's really cool. That's a good answer. We've had a couple coaches on here. I've never had an answer like that. That's nice. Yeah. Giving direction. Yeah, yeah I mean, you played hockey, man. You you want things to be just clear and concise. I mean, you want it wants to make you want it to make sense too. You know, because sometimes coaches are going to say something, and say, yeah, okay, I'll do that, but that doesn't really make sense. So I, I think yeah. explaining the why is important. You know, I need you to be here because of this. Yeah, because okay. that's the key word. Because and if and if you don't understand that or you question that, ask me. Ask me, and, I'll, and we'll go deeper in that. You know, I'll yeah. tell them that. You know, like I, I think you're better off in this spot of the back post with your stick on the ice because it takes away this. Yeah. Is that clear? Does that make sense to you? If it doesn't, tell me, and we'll talk it out. But if they're like, oh no, that makes sense. Okay, boom, move on. That's what it is, and yeah. let's move on. You know, so I just try to be clear and, and direct in in my teaching and my and what you ask as a coach and. I think that's the best. And, uh, you know, on our staff, I run the penalty kill. I do a penalty kill meeting normally the mornings of a game. And they're like, I, I try to keep them under five. They're three minutes long. It's three minutes of uh, eight to 10 clips. This is what this is what we expect from the other team tonight. This is what they're going to try to do. This is how we're going to defend it. We're going to go here, 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 and here. We're going to do this in the forecheck, face offs, look for this. We're going to get clears here. Is that clear? You look around the room, and it's been like three minutes, and I've tried to just cover everything, but I'm just trying to be short, concise. I know the attention spans are small. I know it's 10 o'clock in the morning. They, you know, our game's that night, so it's just like this is the plan for tonight. Let's stick with it. I'll review it tonight, but like you know, I try to keep it uh, clear, concise, and to the point. And I think guys appreciate that. Um, in junior hockey, it's a cool dynamic how guys from all over the world can come play for the Mooseheads. Bobby's done a great job from recruiting guys from Europe, uh, the United States, just all over Canada. It's a very international team. Always has been. Always will be. Being an assistant coach role—that's a role of getting not being friends with the player, but getting a little bit more comfortable with them rather than the head coach. Yes. How do you how do you find that? How, how do you like that part of the the game? Yeah, it's cool, man. It's uh, that that's one thing is you know people assistant coach, you're sort of good cop, you know, in yeah, that sort yeah. of sense, right? And I don't mind that at all. It's probably more of my personality, and I, and I find having that relationship, having a positive sort of not heavy relationship with them all the time, helps. That then if you need to be heavy or you are pissed off at a guy, it, it kind of means more. It's like, oh, this guy's normally the good guy, and right now he's kind of giving me, you know, giving me a hard yeah. time. Must be he must be <laughs> I must have really messed up if he's doing it because he doesn't do it all the time. Yeah. So I think that helps. But yeah, that that's kind of one of the coolest parts of our job is we do get players from. You're right, all over the world, but we get a couple of Europeans every year. We've had Americans. We've had people, of course, from all over Atlanta, Canada. Uh, we have uh, Quebec players come in that can't speak very well English in the beginning, and, and we have to, you know, there's a bit of a stumbling block there at times. But I guess one thing I, I try to take, I really try to keep in mind is where they come from. You know, we have a guy, Lucas Robinson, from Rocky Harbor, Newfoundland. He comes here as a 17-year-old with the Mooseheads, and it's one thing to look at him and say, okay, he's a, he's a hockey player. I'm going to teach him this, teach him that. And then you got to take a step back and say, you know Everything about being here and being a Moosehead is overwhelming right now. School is overwhelming for him right now. It's a bigger community that he's used to. It's a bigger school that he's used to. He's not that. used to coming and not just playing hockey at this level, but I think everything's a little bit more overwhelming for a guy from a smaller town. So you have to be patient with those guys, and you have to understand they're going to grow and develop at their own rates, and, and your expectations – Yes, you want to have the same expectations for everybody, but you know, depending on where a guy's from, I think you have to, you know, be a little bit more patient at times. So, yeah, you have a player from, you know, you have a player that comes here. Nico Heischer came here from a fairly small town in Switzerland. I'm sure he was overwhelmed by a lot of things. He wasn't used to playing in a arena like the Scotiabank Center. He wasn't used to having media around all the time. He wasn't used to the, that sort of hype around him. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of getting used to it. He's eating new foods and doing new things that he's probably not used to, living with the Billet family. So there's a lot that's new in their lives when they come to junior hockey. And I think we, you know, you have to, as a coach, take that thing, keep those things in mind uh, when you're dealing with them. Yeah, it's an exciting factor of the game outside of the game, making sure that someone's comfortable. Because it really has nothing to do with hockey. It's just yes. making sure that the person is comfortable. Because if they're comfortable, that means they'll perform on the ice. And that's a cool just element of junior hockey, I find. Getting yeah. to know a guy and making sure he's a good character and making sure that he's comfortable so he'll execute on the ice. And obviously the Mooseheads have done that very well if you look at their their draft history. It's yeah. It's it's I and know then, and then take into mind these guys are sixteen to twenty and, and they may they may not see their parents for six, eight, twelve, sixteen weeks at a time, you know, which is a first time for a lot of guys too. So uh we all like the comfort of home and you know, of course we have local players. They're they're lucky, they're they're yeah. pretty fortunate. But then you have these guys from other places and uh yeah, they need a little extra love too because they're they're here and they're I'm sure they're missing their families. When they're having a tough day, they're not going home to their mom's home cooked meal. They're yeah. our builds do a phenomenal job of getting that but and trying to be that sort of parental influence or guidance for them, but uh, you know it'll never be the same as your own. Yeah. Um, what kind of player were you? Mm. Uh, <laughs> any buddies of mine that listen? <laughs> I don't know, man. I was just uh, I grew up playing in the, I guess you know mid or mid to late nineties. You know I played, uh, uh, you know Bantam and Cole Harbor in you know ninety seven, ninety eight, something like that. So I don't know. I was just like a. 
Uh, that's a hard question to even Did say you win a na- didn't you win a national championship? No, not national. In- Our Bantam team won the yeah. Atlantics. Uh, actually, one really cool thing I had was uh, I still have a picture. Is uh, There was one year in Cole Harbor. It would have been 1998. But our Bantam AAA, Pee Wee AAA, and Adam AAA teams all won provincials the same year. Same so it was year. sort of like pretty cool that uh, one organization won Adam, Pee Wee, and Bantam top-level provincials. And we got a big group picture of all three teams together. So it's like a group picture of, you know, guys standing on the bench, sitting on the bench, and a bunch of guys on chairs, a bunch of guys on the ice. And there's, uh, you know, 9- or 10-year-old Sidney Crosby, the captain of the Adam team, in the front row. He's probably <laughs> – he might have still been novice age. I don't know. But, uh, you know, he'd be five years younger than me, and he's only playing a couple levels below. But That's crazy. Uh, but, yeah, it's pretty cool that to see, you know, that's back uh, – when I grew up, Cole Harbor was – Pretty good powerhouse of minor hockey, man. We had a lot of good players come through there, of course. And, uh, to, you know, that's a pretty special thing. I don't know. Maybe that's happened since. I don't know. But back, I remember back then thinking, this is pretty cool. We won, we won provincials at the top level of minor hockey at each yeah. level. It's pretty cool. So, What year did the Mooseheads come to Halifax? Like 94, 95. So, yeah, I was uh, 12 so, or 13 probably. Yeah. So what was that impact like for you as, as a kid like that? I, you know, I, Oh, yeah. Listen, I'm, I'll, I'll be, I was a fan before I worked for the team. And I was at the very first game they ever played. I was no at the way. first playoff game. Yeah, no, I remember What was the first years. game ever like? I got to ask that. What was that? Was there any mess-ups? Like the first – I remember the first Thunderbirds game. There was a couple mess-ups. Like, yeah, you know, so. it was getting to know the, the fans, how everything worked. What was the first Moosehead That's game That's a long like? time ago, but I think it was uh, – you know, I was also, I mean, I'm old enough. I went to Citadel's games as a kid too, right? So, I mean, you're used to going to good hockey, uh, you know, downtown or your dad taking you a game. So, yeah. um, I remember, I guess my memories of that were going and thinking, wow, these guys are these guys are really good. And then hearing, you know, you know you're not on the internet reading about guys, but at least you're hearing like, oh, this this team they're playing is a guy that was drafted in the first round. That's pretty, you know, that's pretty cool. You know, those yeah. guys, you know, you, you're watching these guys and, and knowing that some of them are future NHLers. So, that's pretty cool. And to see a guy like Jaguar come in here and Tangay come in here in the early days and to see them, you know, to see that man, that's the guy that that's the guy that goes to high school with my neighbor, and that's the guy I go watch, and now he's getting drafted in the first round. Like, that was pretty unique to Halifax at the time. It was yeah. pretty cool. So now I think, uh, you know, my kids or other kids maybe take that for granted, but, uh, you know, it was a big deal when they first came for sure. I heard a story that, uh, feel free to shoot me down here, that you said in high school once to your buddies that you wanted to be the coach for the Mooseheads. Is that true? <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I mean, <laughs> I think – I think as a player, I always thought of myself as like I could see the game okay, right? So, I mean, I think I always thought I would coach. When my brother asked me to do it uh, when I was 19 or 20, I, I thought, you know, that's something I would like to do. I, You know, I was always a kid. I remember as a kid being – it's going to sound like a nerd factory, but I remember having uh, drawn drills on a board or just sketching or doodling on a, on a hockey board, just yeah. like trying to draw different stuff and that. I always was into that kind of thing, and you kind of think that was coaching, I guess, when you're a kid, and there's a lot more to it, but – but no, I, I don't remember saying that. I mean, maybe I could have said something like that. But uh, I'll be honest, when I started coaching, coaching from Pee Wee to Bantam to – I was an assistant coach in uh, Halifax, the major midget team there with Kirk. Oh, were uh, you? After you were finished playing, I came in. It would have been a few years after you. I was with Kirk for two years. Like the Titans? Uh, yeah, yeah. So he had uh, – yeah, like Ryan Falkenham played there when yeah, he was 15. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so we had some good players come through there. So – uh, I did that for two years, and then I was, and then I took over as head coach in Cole Harbor for two years um, after my time with Kirk. So, I mean, all of that time, you're, you're liking coaching, you're going to coaching conferences, thinking like, man, this would be cool. Oh, maybe you coach that. But I'm telling you, I never thought like, oh, I'm definitely coaching the QL. Oh, I'm definitely coaching pro. Like, I, that's it was sort of always a pipe dream, and how things happen. I was coaching Cole Harbor midget team, and we had a pretty good uh, team there. I took over a team that was anyway, long story, but I took over a depleted team. The, the previous coach had left, and we had like one returning player, and it was yeah. tough. We kind of picked a team. We had a tough first year, and then the next year we had a we had a pretty good season, uh, and the team did pretty well. and And it was fun. You know, it was fun to run your own team, and you were seeing some uh, really good growth and some players, and and it was enjoyable. And then there was an opening with the Mooseheads. Uh, Jim Midgley, Jim Midgley, who's become a good friend of mine, was uh, was uh, I knew him a little bit back then. We used to just run some summer skates together, and he said, you know, you know, we have an opening, and uh, you know, how come you haven't applied? And I said, well, you know, all the reasons you'd want to list. I, I don't know if you guys would be interested in me. I just coach a midget team here. Maybe you want a bilingual guy. Maybe you want, you know, I didn't. You know, Never you, thought of that. You think yeah. of all the reasons why they wouldn't want yeah, you, and you're yeah. kind of like, yeah, I don't know, man. At the time, I had. Uh, I had a three-year-old and a two-month-old, so that was probably a reason I should mention too. I was yeah. like, I don't know about this, and then he sort of said, "Well, they, he kind of—I think he was referring to Cam." He said, "They—they they were kind of hoping you would apply." No way. And I said, "Geez, well, I—I I don't know. Like, I think if you have—if you think I have a chance, maybe I should." He said, "I think—I think if you want to do it, you should apply." So, yeah. Then uh, things happened quickly. I went home that night, kind of mentioned that to my wife. Uh, we have a pretty small family, and you know, she really encouraged me to do it. She said, "You know, I really think you should. I really think you should." And she kind of said, "You know." Well, at worst, you know, if you get a good interview, it'd be a good experience. And I said, well, I don't ever want to, 
apply to something I'm not into. I don't, I'm not the guy that's going to apply, get an interview for experience and say thanks, but no thanks. You know, I just really want the experience of the interview. Yeah. I said, I don't want to waste anyone's time. So I said, if I apply, we got to be, you know, pretty sure or serious that we want to do this. Because so, that's a big commitment on your family's part. You're away a lot of the time. No question. It's a grind, man. It's tough that way in the winter. And uh, the, going into year seven now, I've been there. It's, you know, my, my like I said, uh, when it happened, it happened quickly. Within 24 or 48 hours, I met with Cam and I was the next assistant coach for the Mooseheads. And uh, my son was two months old at the time. So he knows nothing else but this. My daughter was three. So, I mean, that's kind of the only job they remember me having. And uh, they love, you know, they love coming to the games. This year's obviously different. There's some different protocols, but they love coming to the games. They love coming down afterwards and seeing me outside the room, messing around with the guys. My son's been running around the dressing room after games since he was three or four years old. And he, a, he thinks that's, that's just, awesome. he thinks that's normal. You know what I mean? Like, awesome. he, he doesn't even think that's special. I'd or, still or love cool, to do that. You know? <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, that's, it's, I, I'm, I'm glad they've had those types of memories. Uh, I'm sure uh, they'll look back at it someday and think that was pretty cool right now. I think they just think that's normal. Uh, yeah. Right now I'm, you know, in the summertime, you know, I'm grabbing my hockey bag and they're like, where are you going? Oh, I'm going on the ice with some guys, you know, Th- again, they, they think that's normal. They think it's normal to go Jeez. on the ice with some of the best players. You got to make these kids shovel. Yeah. And I'm you not trying to get them to real, the real world. Yeah, I'm not trying to make it sound like, uh, you know, we're so privileged or anything, but I, I just, that's how they've grown up. They've grown up knowing that's kind of what I do. And it's, it's not really, a, you know, not that's really awesome. that big of a deal. And uh, and I kind of like that, you know, I can bring them to the rink and they're not uh, starstruck or anything. They yeah. just run around like, like normal kids. So what's the interview process like for uh Moosehead's position? Who interviews you, Bobby or Cam? It was just Cam for me. Uh, I met Cam one afternoon, very casually for coffee. Um, just talked about all sorts of things. Because uh, then, you know, I shouldn't say I was interviewing him at all, but I have questions too. I'm kind of like, okay, well, what's the, you know, I didn't know. What are the hours? What are the, you know, what's yeah. the travel deal? I didn't know how all that works. I mean, I had some questions too. And we just had a really good chat. And then Tom uh, Ducharme was our head coach at the time. And he said, okay, you know, after Cam and I's conversation, he said, you know, I think this went really well. I think you'd be a good fit, but I want Dom to talk to you too and make sure. So, he said, Dom's going to give you a call. I said, no problem. So later that day, I had a, a conversation. Dom called me, and we had a good talk for, I don't remember how long, 30 or 40 minutes. But, again, uh, nobody was really uh, digging or prying at you or trying to put you on the spot or ask difficult questions. It was more just like, you know, what do you think your strengths are? What do you think you could bring? Just feeling what, each other out. What would you be comfortable doing? Yeah. You know, we see you doing this role. If you joined on, would you be comfortable in that role? You know, and it could be just special teams related or which end of the bench you want to be at and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, honestly, it was uh, – you know, of course, looking back, it was nerve wracking and you felt like, oh, my God, oh, my God. But now when I look, now I think about it, I'm like, you know, it was pretty casual. Honestly, it was pretty, uh, pretty relaxed overall. And met with Cam one day, talked to Dom that same day. Um, I think it was the next afternoon. Cam said, can we meet for coffee again? And and then when we met, there was he had a contract at that time. So it went pretty quick, man. And like I said, like within going on the ice with Jim one night and him saying, I think you should apply to signing a contract was 40, 72 hours at the most, maybe 48. It happened really fast. Oh. And, uh, but that's the way it works, man. They have openings. They want to, you know, they want to get them filled, and uh, it goes pretty quick that way. But I mean, the one thing I, I will say is when you're coaching midget hockey or whatever level you're coaching, I think coaches should know this too. Like I never once in my life thought anyone there is noticing you. You're just trying to run your team and make sure your team's playing well, and you're not thinking you're being noticed or getting any credit. And I will say that when I first met with Cam, he said. I went to lots of your games scouting your players, and I really liked how your team was run. I thought your team was disciplined. I thought, you know, they just looked professional. Your team looked prepared, uh, those sorts of things. And he said, you know, that's a good reflection on you. And and it's good. that's nice to hear. It's a bit of a pat on the back, but I'm telling you, that's not why I did that. That's not why you're doing it. But I think it is a good message for coaches to know that your team is often a reflection of you. So keep that in mind. You know, if you want your team to, to look professional, if you want them to look disciplined, uh, those things are going to be a reflection of you, and people will notice that. And I wouldn't have thought that at the time, and I kind of do in hindsight, that uh, it was nice to hear that. How do you dance on the line of getting the players to respect you and work their bag off for you? Because, you know, we've all had that coach that you hate, you don't want to work for, but there's some coaches that I, you know, we all have had that you love and you'd go to war for. Uh, how do you how do you dance along that line of pushing a guy but not pissing him off? No, I think there's a mutual respect there. It, it is a fine line, and it's tough, man. We've all had teachers and coaches like that. Yeah. But, uh, but I believe that it's they have to like you. And people will say, like, oh, they don't have to like you. They have to respect you. I think they have to like you. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I think part of being re- respectful is it's hard to respect someone you don't like. So I think they do have to like you. And I think humanizing with guys, uh, talking to them stuff about non-hockey-related uh, conversations, I think is really important. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. That's, that's good. Asking like a guy that. how things are at home. Yeah. How, asking a guy how things are uh, back home. You know, how are your mom and dad? How's your brother? Where's your brother playing yeah, this year? Yeah, you know, yeah. and, like, asking questions like that, I think uh, – uh, one thing I, I took from uh, uh, Rick Bonus, who's obviously a legendary coach from our area, is uh, I heard Rick speak one time at a 
just a it was a pretty casual coaches conference that in Halifax. But one thing he said is is when he was in Tampa, he was coaching the defense, and he he wanted to build a relationship with his players. So he had like a I think he said like a night a month on the road. They would go out for dinner or something, just him and the defense. But his rule was there's no hockey talk. Like we're going to pick a restaurant. We're going to go out to eat. It's just the D coach and the D. It'll be the D night, but there's no hockey talk. Um, and, you know, like it sounds funny to say that, but he said the players look forward to it. They they really like that. They see you in a different light. And I think that's important. Then the next day of practice, if you do want to give a guy a hard time about something, it's, I don't want to say he's your buddy, but, he, you know, he's not the guy that's always giving you a hard time. He's the guy that was able to relax and talk to you about different things, and you built a relationship that way. So I think that's important. It's something I took from from that. I try to do that. Uh uh, or right now we're not supposed to do this, but like I know a year, the last couple of years I've tried to do that. I've had the D over at my house for dinner, you know, yeah. once or twice a year. I have a D dinner night, invite the guys over, have dinner. I try to follow the same path. I said, you know, we're not here. To, and if I hear them start talking about a game at the table, I'm like, oh, no, 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 we're not doing that here, you know. And the, <laughs> But it's cool for them to come over and have lasagna with your family and just sort of hang out yeah. and, um, again, play mini sticks in the basement with my kids and just hang out for an hour and a half, and it's not – even really being a moose head. It's just sort of come over for a home cooked meal and you get to meet your family. And then again, meeting your family, knowing your kids, seeing you interact with your kids, I think then builds a likability or respect factor. They see you in a different uh, light. They see you being a good husband, see you being a good father. They're going to like and respect you more. So uh, I'm not saying I'm, that's the reason I did it was to get in the, their good side, but I do think the human factor there and, and uh, building a relationship with your players is really important. That's a great answer. Well said. Um, the Memorial Cup here, uh, was it two years ago now? I never thanked you for it. I remember I walked in. I was nervous. I was wearing that bright red vest. I was sticking out, and I was getting the eyeballs. You know, Colby Armstrong sitting there looking at me. There's a couple other people in, like, these suits looking at me, and I'm, I'm there in my, you know, blue pants and my red vest and my hoodie. Not really professional because I'm new to the game. I'm, I'm walking around. I can't believe we got into the Mem Cup, and, you know, I just feel that, not unwantedness, but I was just, I was, I was standing out a bit, not, not in a good way. And I remember I walked out onto the bench and you boys were practicing and, and I'm there looking at you because uh, Rafi was playing. So I was hoping sure. I'd say hi to Rafi. And you were the first guy to come up to me and say, Justin, how are you? Yeah. Welcome. Big fan of the podcast. Yeah. You have no idea like how much that meant to me, man. Like oh, you have well, no, yeah. you have no idea like how much like that gave me such a comfortability level knowing that you said hi to me. So okay. I just well, wanted to thank you for that. No, well, good man. You don't have to. You don't have to thank me. But but yeah, that, that was. I remember seeing you guys come in there and think. I I, I honestly like don't take this the wrong way. I found it amusing. I'm like, how these guys get in? <laughs> oh, there? I know. yeah, exactly. I like, I've listened to a few podcasts. We thought the same like, way. So I kind of got a, I kind of got a <laughs> kick out of it. You know what I mean? That that week, you, you're right. You have all those the Sportsnet people around. So when I saw you guys in there with the media badges, I kind of chuckled. <laughs> myself and i thought it was cool man i mean I, I thought it was good you guys were trying to build uh build your brand a bit and uh yeah i thought it was funny and i, I wanted you guys to feel welcome you should have man you, you know your local guys you were trying to do things the right way and i had heard some of our players and different guys have heard your podcast before so anyway yeah and that was uh i guess a later moment of the week that week was pretty stressful that year yeah, was pretty very... crazy honestly that year was insane so uh yeah, to be able to just have a conversation with another local guy in a light manner, I think was uh, was sort of what probably, probably both of us needed that at that time. Yeah, well said. You know, <laughs> as soon as that conversation was done, I turned around and Mavs was there from East Link. I never met him before. I turned around, shook his hand, had a ten minute conversation with him. It was just almost like a welcoming media moment for me. And I was just yeah. walked in there and in a different mindset, and then walked out in a complete different mindset, That's just good. being happy and feeling welcome. So, just wanted to thank you for that. No, and I never no, did. No so, problem, thank you. Man. That was a crazy it. week, and I know you guys were uh, around the rink all week. It was insane, and. Uh, yeah, like I said, that year was was crazy. We played, uh, you know, not even preseason, just regular season playoffs, Memcock. We played 95 games. And 95 games is, is a lot, man, in junior hockey. And uh, it was a grind. The play the season was a grind. We started that year, uh, people don't remember, 15 games in the road because there was uh, some maintenance going on in our building. So oh, it, wasn't yeah, a, yeah. it wasn't a 15-game yeah. trip, but it was 15 games consecutively that yeah. we weren't playing at home. So we started the year that way. Uh, you know, it was the year was a grind. There was a lot of ups and downs, trade period. You know, are we good enough? Is this team going to be good enough to try to win? You know, yeah. there's all those questions. And the playoffs were crazy. The amount of uh, travel, like once the playoffs start, it's sort of uh, it's a whirlwind, man. And those 95 games go by quickly. And uh, it's still tough to look back on it and say you played 95 games, you had all this experience, and you didn't get anything out of it because, you know, to get to that one Sunday afternoon and not win is uh, it's still tough. I'm not a guy that. I don't bring work home with me. I don't like lose sleep over games and stuff. That's just not really my personality. I'm usually able to do that, but that's a game you want back, man. And, it, and it's not because like we were better and we choked. I mean, Ruan was an unbelievable team and, and they certainly earned uh, that championship, but you're kind of thinking one afternoon, one game at home and you know, one game, it comes down to one game. We don't got to beat them four times in 10 days here for us for a series. You know, it's just one game. 
we were up two nothing in the second period. I can still see it all in front of me, and uh, that's tough, man. I had a my son had just turned five, and as I told you earlier, he's growing up around the team and the game, and he's in his seat just like vibrating. I guess with my wife, we're up two nothing, and he's just on top of the world. And then for it to slip away, I mean, he was uh, both my kids, but him most more so was uh, pretty inconsolable after the game. Seeing him after the game was pretty tough because. Uh, we all have those moments as kids watching NHL hockey where your favorite team loses and you're devastated, you know. But I mean, this was worse, man. These guys have been over. <laughs> these guys have been at my house for dinner. He's yeah. been running around the dressing room all yeah. year, so he is totally invested. And uh, yeah, he's got the the bracelet on his wrist during the game. And uh, I know my wife didn't want to tell him uh, what it was for, but he heard it was to get on the ice if we win, you know. So I mean, there's there's a lot riding there, you know. So looking back there, it's. Uh, that's a tough one to look back on, and uh, I wish we could have uh, found a way that that game. Uh, I don't have a lot of regrets in my coaching life, and it's not even a regret. It's just a disappointment that still yeah. stings, man. It really does. It's part of the business. You know what you signed up for. That's just part of the game, but the Mooseheads put on a first-class establishment. Bobby put on a, a hell of a week in the city. I remember dudes, our camera guy, filmed a couple videos of uh, the crowd singing Oh Canada, mm-hmm. and the place was just electric. Because looking back on it now, there hasn't been a, a packed night like that in the Metro Centre maybe since the Mem Cup. It just... Un- unbelievable it just uh first class all the way yeah it, it was oh, this, it just unbelievable you, you, you're kind of so zoned in as a coach but i always try to during o canada sort of my one time i kind of look around the building and kind of take it all in a little yeah. bit and you hear them singing and stuff and uh, it's hard not to it's hard not to be in the moment and sort of be wowed by that a little bit but then you're just trying to get dialed in on what you need to do there as a coach but yeah, i can remember that night nate dropped the puck at the championship game and the place went uh, absolutely uh, you know like that was as loud i think as i've ever heard that place is when he came out not when we scored a goal but when he came out you yeah know? so which is obviously well deserved so <laughs> i remember the building just shaking when he came out and thinking that was pretty cool and uh yeah, it was, uh, you know, you get goosebumps on the bench for sure when that happens. I hear in your voice, like, you're. Almost, I know you're the, the coach, but you, when you talk, you almost sound like a fan. And when you're a yeah. fan, you're passionate. You know, I'm a fan of a lot of things, but I think I'm passionate because I'm a fan. That's what I hear in your voice. You, you, you yeah. get excited about the Mem Cup. You say, yeah, I take a second to look at O Canada. It's like, yeah, that makes you happy. Yeah, I think it's easy sometimes for coaches to say we're robots and we don't pay attention to anything. We're just so focused on the game, we don't notice anything. No, man, I notice stuff. I, you know, if somebody's yeah. doing something funny in the stands and I catch the corner of my eye, you take a second to notice it. I mean, you got to live in the moment a little bit, and I, yeah. I feel I can detach myself enough that uh, you're really focused in on what you're doing, but you also have to take it all in and appreciate it. And yeah. uh, I don't know how many games I've coached now in the league. It's I'm in year seven. It's been a lot, but you know, you, sometimes you remember funny moments that happen that uh, have nothing to do with the game. It could be something funny that happened during an O Canada. I remember playing and Schwinnigan in the playoffs and the people behind the bench were like banging spoons off the glass just in the coach's ears the entire game you know and like how annoying it was and you know there's little things like that you remember over the years that uh, that are you know just as that stand out as memories just as much as any big game or any yeah. big moment on the ice it's fortunate too that you get to do it in your backyard in front of your friends and family a lot of people don't get to say that you look at a guy like Baron who gets to do it in front of his friends and family it's a great feeling knowing that you can do that yeah I don't take it for granted I was sort of able to take a step in my coaching career and do this and, and not have to ask my family to hey we're gonna pack up and try to move and mm. try to make a go of this you know I was really fortunate that I was able to uh, to not have to do that or not have to ask my family to do that and it's worked out well for me and uh yeah, the next step in coaching, you know, sometimes requires that. So I'm not, uh, you yeah, know, I'm not looking forward to that. I don't. Want, I know it's just about what you're enjoying, what you do now, and uh, I really try not to take that for granted because I do feel fortunate. There's not many guys in, not many men or women in, in Nova Scotia that make a, a full time living in hockey. I mean, yeah. there really isn't. You can. That's a pretty small group of people that. Uh, uh, you don't think about it every day when you do sit back and think, you know, you're pretty fortunate to be able to, to do this. Uh, I love hockey and I'm able to do it as a job, and uh, uh, I feel pretty fortunate. Um, Hair gel story in Moncton. That's all I know. This must have came from Logan. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, man. If I if I wanted to give you Logan stories where he came on, I this your sheet would be full over there. I've been working on a book for years with Logan that have unbelievable stories I could feed you. But no, that's just a one time thing. Him and I were in Moncton going out for a night, and I uh, realized we didn't have any hair gel. <laughs> So we get in a cab on the way to our location. We were heading, and I and I realized I didn't have any gel. So I just asked the guy to pull into shoppers. We go into shoppers. Then you're walking to shoppers, thinking, "Well, I don't want to buy hair gel, and like put it in my pocket all night." You know what I mean? 
So it's just take the cap off one squirt in your hand, rub it in your hair, and walk out. I guess that's I'm um, admitting to stealing here, whatever. But, was, uh, <laughs> but no, that's just uh, he still laughs about that story, right? But I, and I said, man, I wasn't being cheap. I didn't want to steal it, but I was like, I didn't want it in my pocket all night. I guess I guess I could have bought it and put some of my hand through it in the garbage. I mean, I just thought that was I was in a rush. The the cab was running out front. And, you need uh, air gel. I thought that was the way to do it. So yeah, uh, he still talks about that. that was a long time ago. I can't believe he still remembers that. You bring that up in the interview. Cam's like, what are your flaws? You're like, yeah, I stole hair gel once. That's about <laughs> it, though. That's all I got. Yeah, yeah. If that's the worst thing I've done, I'm all right. <laughs> that's funny. Um, what uh, Justin was asking this earlier, What what is the schedule for the Q return? I don't even know. Do you? No. Uh, no. I mean, we have a rough idea of when the guys will be coming back in the new year and that. But, uh, no, we haven't. We don't have a schedule of games announced yet and stuff. There's still a lot of things that are working around there. and But we're expecting the boys to come back in the new year, probably have to quarantine, work around that, and, and hopefully get games going, you know, mid to late January. But uh, like the NHL, it'll be a, sort of a last-minute announcement decision. I think there's a lot of yeah. rumors about the NHL return. The players don't seem to know for sure yet either, and it's, it's supposed to be pretty close. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I think that with all of this uh, – covid stuff it's i hate to say we're all making it up as we go but it's unprecedented so we are i think the government is i mean they're sort of trying to do these uh briefings every few days or every week and they're sort of making up different things as they go and you can't really blame anybody it's an unprecedented thing so they want to get it right and they want to be safe and uh, that's sort of how i'm sure our league's working around it too well they did announce though that you can have 25 players in the rink for practice so are you guys yep. scheduling practice when everyone comes back from christmas yeah holiday? which is really nice the guys can even skate so our guys went home like a week and a half ago or whatever so so most of them are able to skate depending on where they're from they've been able to skate a little bit guys here in halifax really aren't so uh, yes, well, the plan is when they come back, we'll get practicing for sure, but uh, we don't look to be playing probably till mid to late January at this point, so we'll see. But at least guys can be training. Uh, local guys here can start skating and, uh, and avoid those restrictions come Monday because uh, yeah. we have some pro guys here that like to get on the ice too, and they haven't been able to. So hopefully Monday that'll lift and oh, yeah. uh, guys can get back on the ice. That's another thing too. I never thought of the pro guys home. Like Nate said, he's never been home for Christmas ever, <laughs> or the past 12 years he's never yeah, been home. Yeah, yeah, no. So I think they're enjoying a little bit of extra time here too now, which, yeah. is, which is nice. I think as, as much as we all would say, oh, man, this sucks, I wish we or do it like yeah of course we want to be doing your jobs as regular but i think you have to try to take a positive note look back and say you know what you don't usually get this much time off this time of year so we'll, we'll sit back and enjoy it um i wanted to talk a little bit about world juniors i don't know too many kids on the team outside of the maritimes uh, sure. i'm not really too aware i know it's your job to know junior hockey what do you know about the team that uh, maybe i don't yeah no i mean i'll be honest i don't know the other leagues as well as you know maybe people think i should i mean you're so focused on your league and you know all the players that come from the queue uh, you know you play against them but you also remember them coming in the league as draft picks and mm. knowing who had hype and what they've done and, and you watch so much game video at our job that I've, I've you know sometimes you, you only play a guy a few times a year but you've seen him on video a lot so you get to know the players well uh, I had this question before Justin went to the camp somebody asked me you know how what do you think his chances are of making it what do you know and I said well listen I, I don't know all the players in Ontario in the west or NCAA guys I, I can't really compare them to those guys because I haven't seen them that much but my thought was always if they have seven or eight D better than Justin Barron they're going to be very good because I think he's a very good player. I think he's a really versatile defenseman. He's not one-dimensional at all. And I think he can go there and uh, he's got the skating and size and, and defending ability to play against top players from all over the world. And I think he's going to be just fine. So I, I thought all along, if they have seven or eight D better than him, it's going to be a pretty special team. Uh, obviously, they didn't. He's in that group of, of uh, six, seven, eight D. So uh, I don't know much about all their players. I know the guys that made it from our league are, are pretty special players. I'm not surprised any of them made it. Um, and I think, you know, be, it's always interesting to see how you take the 20 best guys from one country, 20 best guys from another country, put them on this ice surface and see, yeah. and the games are always close and exciting. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like March kind of insane. Little, it's yeah. kind of insane, man. But, and, uh, and it's great that there's, you know, there's now four or five teams that legitimately can win every, every year that you wouldn't yeah. be shocked if they won. It's not just two teams anymore. It's a little bit yeah. more of an open field. You might even say there's a top six. So. They're always exciting games. Uh, the other countries have done such a good job, I think, bridging the gap on Canada and Russia and the U.S. that yeah. uh, it makes for tremendous hockey. And uh, no, I'm excited that Justin's getting the opportunities at a tough year and a half, you know, yeah. health-wise and stuff. So uh, we're just really excited for him to be able to go there and have this experience and uh, hopefully help Canada win a gold. Talking about guys that are in the first round, how, what, how much time are we at, Mark? Uh, 42 seconds. You're good for time? Um I mentioned those guys, uh, five or six, maybe it's seven guys that have been drafted to the NHL out of the the Mooseheads in the first round. Sorry. How much fun is it for you as a coach watching the development? Like you said, he's sure coming here from Europe, not knowing anything, not really comfortable his first, I don't know how yeah. long he, he became, until he became comfortable. But how much fun is it watching a guy come in and developed into a first-round NHL player. You know, that's a rare thing. A lot of guys come through the Mooseheads organization and they're not that. But having those few special players... 
what what's that feeling like it's it's really cool to see guys achieve their dreams you know and uh, i mean i'll be the first one to say we haven't gotten a player here that you think isn't very good and all of a sudden they're first round pick usually they come to us pretty good too they've had good coaching along the way they've come to us with some pretty special gifts uh nico was a really special player in his age group all the way growing up in switzerland he came here it just took him a while to get comfortable i think in his first eight or nine games with us he might have only had uh you know a few points and then i think it was I'd have to look. It was a game 10 or 11. He had a six-point game or something, and then he sort of took off from there. And uh, he went to the World Juniors and was one of the best players in the tournament as a 17-year-old on an underdog Switzerland team. And that was a kind of an aha moment of, oh, man, this guy is – this guy's really good. Then he came back and was just unbelievable in the second half for us. But so, when he got there, sorry to interrupt you the yeah. first time, was he, oh, this guy's going first round for sure? Oh, I think we knew he was a first-round talent. I don't know, first overall is a whole other ball game. You know, they – you know, they talk about the draft being in tiers, and there's a top three or five guys, and this next tier of guys. We, knew, well, I think, we knew he was a first round talent. Yeah. He, he had been dominant at an under seventeen, under eighteen tournaments and stuff. So it's not like he was unknown in the hockey world. Yeah. He, had, he had done well in his age group, which is another thing you have to remember. Sometimes in junior hockey, is sometimes people get on guys that you know a sixteen or seventeen year old and say, "Geez, I thought this guy would be better, man. He was picked in the first round of the queue." You gotta say he's sixteen. It's like taking a first-year peewee and putting him in major band. Yeah. Like, like I know it's junior, and you know, but he's still a double or triple underage yeah. from the rest of the guys out here. You got to be patient with these guys. So, um, and Cam's always good to say that. Cam Russell's really good at saying, you know, you got to be patient with these guys because they've dominated in their age group. They're probably going to dominate in their age group again when they're 18, 19. Yeah. But at sixteen against 18, 19 year olds is tough. So, but what? Do you, sorry to interrupt again. No, no, but okay. what? What do you mean? What does Cam mean by you got to be patient with these guys? Well, I think sometimes your expectation is you pick a guy uh, fourth overall in the queue. He's sixteen. It's like, oh my god. This guy is going to be Jonathan Drouin. He's going to be Nathan McKinnon. Well, no, those guys are, they come along once every 10 or 15 years. I mean, you could pick a guy. 10th overall, 9th overall, whatever, in the first round, they're not going to have a massive impact as 16-year-olds. It's so rare. you got to remember, they're still the youngest guy out there by a mile, and yeah. you got to be patient. So and sometimes teams get frustrated or uh, or lose patience in a guy. They don't do much at 16. They come back at 17. Maybe they're still not dominating. Oh, let's trade this guy. He's a bust. Mm. Then at 18, 19, he might still be in the league at 20, and he's one of the best players in the league. And it happens all the time in our league. I look at local examples, and I don't think they mind me saying Matthew Highmore. If you go look at his stats when he was 16, 17, he was not lighting up the queue, and people thought, oh, this guy was a first-round pick in the queue. He's never really turned into anything. He's playing in the NHL now at uh, 22 years old or 23 years old. So you develop at a different rate. It happens, man. Not everyone dominates. That, that's why when you look back at what Nate did at 16 and Drouin did at 16 and 17, it's it's mind-boggling. So, I mean, it's uh, – to dominate at 16 is is so rare. I saw Lafreniere do it here recently in the last couple of years, and that's when you think it's a really special player. When you're playing a guy that's 16 and he's clearly that good out there, it's like, okay, this is special, you know? Yeah. So, And those are rare, man. I've been in the league seven years, and I haven't seen many 16-year-olds have that much of an impact. So, yeah, um, yeah so I think players develop at different rates. You do have to be patient. And, and generally speaking, if a guy is dominated in his age group at 13, 14, 15, chances are he's still going to be a very good player at yeah. 18, 19. But you got to remember, our, I say our age group in Major Junior, it's 18, 19. You know, it's not 16, 17. So you see these players come in that have lots of talent, but – they're not used to the pace. They're not used to the grind. You know, yeah. they <laughs> look at the guys that play midget here in uh, Nova Scotia. They're playing a 34 or 35 game schedule. I mean, it's the best they can do with the, with the geography of our province and how often they can play. But to jump up and play 68 with us plus playoffs, it's it's tough, man. It's, yeah. it's a lot of games. And if you're not used to playing that much, you're not used to taking care of your body that well, um, it can be tough. And you'll see these guys, sometimes they start out really quick. At 16, they'll have a good first month. It's like, okay, they're fast, they're excited, they're playing well yeah. in our league, they're excited to be there, they're getting opportunity. And then they can hit a wall a bit at some point because yeah. they're not used to, you know, now we're at game 34 and it's December 10th. It's not the end of the year, you know. Yeah. It's like, holy smokes, they've been through a lot already. Yeah. And uh, it's tough. So you have to be patient with those guys. You have to understand they're going to go through some some bumps in the road for sure. And uh, and just know that when you draft a guy, a major junior, and then coming in at 16, you're not hoping he's going to be the CHL player of the year that year or the next year. You're hoping, okay, is this guy going to help us win when he's 18 or 19? Because that's really your, yeah. you know, what you're hoping for. I feel like your job comes into play with that 16, 17-year-old more than those 18, 19, or 20-year-olds. You know, let's say you do have a 16, 17-year-old come in and he's hot for that first month. Then he dries off a bit and then his confidence gets down. I feel like that's where you step in and go, listen, who's uh, Bobby Orr? Doesn't he have like 15, 16 points right yeah, now? How old yeah. is he? 16? He's a 17-year-old. Like, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? That's yeah. a perfect example, I yeah. think, right now. It's like a guy like that. He's really hot. Who knows how he's going to do after the break? But I feel like your role that's where you come in is like bobby you're killing it right now keep it up keep level-headed keep doing what you're doing if you slow down don't worry about it yeah and i think it depending on the year and what your team's expectations are each year i don't want to say you teach less certain years but i mean the year we host the memorial cup we had a much older decor so i mean yeah. for my job looking after the defense we had a, a decor of a bunch of 
18, 19, 20 year olds. Justin was our youngest guy at 17, but obviously not a not a normal 17 year old defenseman. You yeah. know, we had we had a pretty older decor. It's probably a little less teaching and fine tuning and maybe even development and more just like trying to get them to uh, you know there's then you're trying to motivate guys to play hard consistently yeah. and trying to get them to, to own the role a little bit and there's a little bit more of managing them that way probably than more just like teaching and developing you've had these yeah. guys for three or four years already you probably don't have to keep teaching the same things they've probably got a lot of those things now it's just making sure you have a good relationship with them to get the most out of them on a nightly basis yeah. so there's a different relationship there and I think the NHL is probably that way I mean if you coach a guy in the NHL for five or six years I don't think you're always teaching him new stuff. You're probably just trying to make sure he's performing at his best every night. And uh, this year we have a pretty young team. There's a lot of teaching. But, uh, you know, when you look back at that Mem Cup team, I don't want to say we didn't teach because we certainly had a lot to, to fine-tuning to do with that team. But as the year went on, it was just more about keeping them motivated, keeping them uh, engaged, and trying to make sure you're getting the best out of those guys every night. Yeah, well said. Um, when McKinnon came on the podcast and he said that he wished he enjoyed his time more with the Mooseheads and he put so much pressure on himself to make the NHL, I thought that was really interesting how he just he said that. And I guess I want to ask you, you know, from the behind the scenes aspect, like what do you think the pressure he put on himself outside of the rink? What did you see? Was it Yeah. Do you know what I'm trying to ask? No, like, I do. And I don't I'm not I wasn't really surprised to hear that because he was such a driven guy and I mean I wasn't around him when he was with the Mooseheads. I was just a but you former know coach him, as like, a buddy. Yeah. So I mean I wasn't uh, having daily conversations with him at that time, but but I, I think he knew from a young age. I think he probably knew I have something here and I want to try to make the yeah. most of it. And uh, I think he, yeah, he probably was just so driven to to get there and get to the next spot that maybe he looks back and says, I probably could have sat back and enjoyed it a little bit more. And I'm sure he did from time to time. But he was so driven to get to the next level and, and to be the best and probably go first overall that I think the drive and the intensity that way maybe outweighed the fun a little bit. And uh, the one thing I, I told him that I, I was really – that I thought he said with you that was really interesting is that he thought it's kind of harder to stay in the NHL than it is to make the NHL. And I've never really heard an athlete describe it that way, and I've never had a conversation with him where he's described that way, that a lot of guys work like dogs to make it. Then they make it, they're drafted, they maybe get one contract and whew, put the feet up and I've made it, you know, and it's easier to relax and sort of enjoy the luxuries of life or the guys that are the best year in, year out and, and have long careers are the guys that really work to stay there and stay at the top of their game and, and are continually trying to get better or at least maintain that level of excellence they've achieved. And and I get that now. It's uh, I've never really heard it that way, but it makes a lot of sense that uh, you don't stop working when you made it. And you always hear the cliche of the draft is just the first step. You get drafted, that's just you get your foot in the door, you still got to work for it. And it's true, man. Getting drafted, you're going to get opportunities because of that, but – the work to stay at that level and to keep yourself playing at that level, maintain that level is, is, is tough. Yeah. It was, it was great when he said that too. Yeah. It was really insightful. Um, you were up in the draft in Vancouver, correct? Yes. Well, yes. you guys were kind of right by the pool and there was a bunch of free breakfast and I was, I was in the same hotel. I was up there as well. And I looked into the room. I was trying to get some free breakfast to be honest with yeah. you. Cause I was in the hallway and I looked in the room it was a bunch of CHL coaches, a couple okay. of NHL coaches, Terry. I'm not going to go through all the coaches. Bilesma. It just looked like an unreal hockey room. Hockey IQ through the roof in that room, and you were in there. Yeah. What was going on in that room? Yeah, so one thing I'm really fortunate people probably wouldn't know, and uh, there's an NHL Coaches Association that puts on a, a coaches conference every year at the draft. So it's usually the draft is the Friday night. The Thursday is a full-day coaching conference. Was, oh, it was a full day, not just the breakfast thing. Yeah, no, it was like okay. an 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. or 8 a.m. to 5 kind of thing. So it's, it's an open thing. I mean, anyone can go to it. There's a fee, of course, but uh, – we're fortunate enough uh, with our team that our team pays for us to go for professional development purposes. And uh, we're able to go to this conference. And then we're able to then go to the draft the next night and support our guys. who We've been lucky to have a lot of guys go in the first couple yeah. of rounds the last couple of years. So, uh, no, but that, that conference is pretty cool, man. There's always the, the guys that get up on stage and talk. It is the who's who of coaching and hockey. Yeah. It's it's NHL head coaches and guys that have lots of experience. And, and then just being in that room with 500 guys that coach for a living. Could yeah, be CHL, awesome. could be NCAA coaches, American League coaches. Uh, yeah, I mean, and then the, the afternoon of that session is a breakout session. So they just put you in groups of 10 and you sit at a round table. And you're at a round table of 10 coaches, all of, you Just know, random. Kind of, yeah. I could be sitting at a table with other CHL guys, American League guys. NHL N guys? NCAA guys. No, but then they have 10, 10 of you sitting there and 11th chair is open and they bring in an NHL coach and sits with you. Oh, cool. And you have like an hour little talk with this guy. Cool. Usually they give you a topic. Some of them are pretty relaxed. Hey, man, you guys just want to do a Q&A and ask me anything. So you kind of have this small group of 10 coaches and one NHL coach at, sitting at this small round table. 
you talk to them, you ask questions, you do that sort of thing. An hour goes up, kind of break. Okay, I have coffee for five minutes. You come back, boom, another guy's there. Oh, another so it's NHL like, coach. Yeah, so it's okay, like uh, there'll sick. be like four sit-downs of that, of cool. 45 to an hour. I find you almost get more out of those small conversations Definitely. than you would of a guy being on stage presenting to 500. Yeah. Because it's a little more uh, – you can ask detailed questions. You have like – 45 or 60 minutes in a pretty relaxed atmosphere, you kind of can build a comfortability in that time and, and you, you're not intimidated to ask a question. So you can ask that way. And actually, funny story, I think it was in the Vancouver draft. Um, I think the second coach that arrives at my table to, to be our, our guest coach is Dom Ducharme. No. And he looks, at, <laughs> he looks across from me and kind of like laughed and rolled his eyes. He's like, you in my group? And I said, yeah. Uh, so he's got the name tag, assistant coach, Montreal Canadiens, Dom Ducharme. He's introducing himself to everybody at the table. And I've kind of, I worked with this guy for two years. So kind of a small oh, world, but, funny. uh, but yeah, no, that's really cool. I've been, I've been lucky to go to that and our team's been supportive of our uh, coaching staff going to that. And, uh, yeah, I don't take that for granted. That's pretty special. You get those opportunities. Oh, it, was, yeah. it was great being in that hotel, just seeing all the legends, being walking around the lobby, just people just there. It it just it looked like a great experience, uh, learning experience. And I wasn't even really part of that uh, no, I get group. It, like yeah, it was just, I know, I get it. You know, you're in the elevator with Max Tal, but hey, man, what was it like scoring two goals against the Toronto yeah. Cup final? You yeah, know, yeah. So you know, just stuff like that. No, listen, just... all deep down, we're all hockey fans. Yeah, so to be able to go there and and uh, be around some of the who's who of hockey is is always pretty cool. Um. I, it's uh, whenever I ask this question to coaches, I get weird answers because some guys love coaching at the level they're at. Some guys love coaching kids. Some guys want to go to the NHL. I don't know. It just depends on the character. What's your character saying? Well, what do you want to do? Yeah, I, I think everyone is, is different. I, I like coaching, and I'm not a guy that just coaches the Mooseheads and don't do anything else. I mean, I, I go on and run uh, spring and summer practices with, with kids, and uh, I'll go on even with my uh, son still in uh, in IP and Timbits. I like going out with his group. I don't do it much during the winter. I don't have the time, but if there's extra stuff in the spring or summer, I like going on. It's different coaching. I find it's like from my education background, I say it's a lot different teaching grade 11 or teaching grade 1. It's almost like not the same profession, you know, like you're both teachers, but I mean, teaching grade one is a lot different than teaching chemistry to grade 11s. You know, it's a lot different. I feel like I'm teaching chemistry to grade 11s in a sense as a job, but then to jump in a, in a, on ice and, and coach kids is, is a nice kind of refresher sometimes. And yeah. there's, um, I like doing that. You can, it, you wear a different hat, you go out and you kind of can be enthusiastic and silly and kind of joke around with them, play tag. And, uh, I like doing that. I can kind of let myself down a little bit and do that as well. So it's I'm not a guy that's has to be Joe serious all the time. And I coach this level. I can only do that. I don't think that at all. I think yeah. coaching is coaching is coaching, and you have to be adaptable and know the group that you're on with. But uh, you know, there's there's a lot of insight you can share with young kids, and uh, even to jump on with a group of of peewees. Uh, my niece is a is a pretty strong uh, female peewee player. I like going on with her and her friends sometimes. There's some things that you might take for granted that you, your players might already know that you can show them, and it's it's news to them or it's new to them. You know, yeah. like it's a new skill that they, you know. So you kind of have to, and if you can give them a few things every time you're out there, I think it's it's great and helpful. And uh, yeah, that's that's one of my favorite things to do actually is go on with younger groups at times and uh, and just uh, coach in a lot different way. Well, talk about the other side when you're on the ice with Sid and and Nate. Yeah. Well, you know, let's say you see Sid mess up on the wall or something like that. He 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 picks up a puck that the wrong that way. That doesn't happen too I often. I know, but you yeah. know what I mean. Like, yeah. do you have the confidence right now to go? You know, Sid, let's try this really quick. You know, how does you know like do you do you still like that aspect of the game? Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm doing a lot of correcting out there but, with well, those that, guys, but no, if you're I, I know what in the you mean. NHL one day. I'm not saying you will be, but if you want to be, like, do you yeah. feel comfortable just being like, you know, here's what you need to do? When I when I go on with local pro guys here, one thing I, I try to always say is it's their skate, not mine. You know, and and like it might be my drills or my ideas. But yeah. I want to do stuff they want to do, and I want them to do it the way they want to do it. So, I mean, I, when you set up a drill, it's sort of like, this is what I had in mind, guys. We're going to do this and this and this. But what do you guys think? And, yeah, say, well, okay, and, yeah. and if they say, actually, the third shot, can we get a pass from this area? Sure. It's your skate, man. I'm not yeah. offended that you want to adjust my drill. I yeah. mean, that's not how it works. So, uh, no, yeah, you need to have the confidence to to talk to those guys. And it's not just the talking and explaining. It's uh, – passing with those guys like trying to make a good pass to these guys that Break are your wrist. flying and like yeah I, I mean I grew up in Cole Harbor I knew Sid casually before but then to go on the ice with them when I started doing that a few summers ago the first time you're on with him and he he passes so hard that you almost have to choke down in your stick to stop the pass and then you stop it and you look up and he's already sort of waiting for it back it's like oh god you know like <laughs> you, you don't want to mess up and I still catch myself uh they would laugh at me for saying this but it's like you know, different guys are in the drill and going, and then when you see Sid's next up in line, you're like looking at your pile of pucks to make sure you got a good puck for him. You know, I'm not gonna get a puck with uh, chips in it. You know, he's he's up. Let's get a good puck. And like, it sounds pretty nerdy to say that, but like, you, but it's just because these guys they take it so seriously. It's their job. They're out there to try to 
uh, not just maintain their level, but get better. Uh, so I, I, I would never say you're intimidated because in saying you're intimidated would make it sound like they're going to scream at you if yeah, you mess up. Yeah, it's not, not that feeling, yeah. but you feel pressure to just give them a good pass and yeah. to give them a good skate and that type of thing. And, uh, uh, so I take it seriously, you know, like you go out there and it's it's casual, it's light with them for the most part, but also it's when you're on and you're involved in a drill and you want to make a pass, you want to make sure it's a good pass. And uh, and you might think, uh, you know, passing to players like that, you, you can't give them a, a bat. They can pretty much pick up anything, so there's a little bit less pressure there. It's like, ah, if it's anywhere near him, he's probably going to get it, but you're going to make a bad pass. I mean, you're out there for an hour and a half or two hours. You're going to make a bad pass, and you kind of feel bad when you do it, and then they – they never give you the stink eye or anything, but they'll just recircle and look for it again. You're like, oh, this one better be good, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that, yeah. then you're on this. You almost put the pressure on yourself. It's not a pressure from them. It's like you put yeah. pressure on yourself to just uh, to perform or, or make sure that you're doing your best for them. Because you feel bad, you'd feel bad letting them down. But yeah. uh, no, you build a relationship with those guys over the over the years, and uh, and again, it's just a comfortability. It's not like I'm out there because I'm the greatest coach around. I'm out there because that's I'm I'm a guy they're comfortable with or who they have a relationship with, and uh, speaks to your character. And I think that's that's the biggest thing. Uh, Nate doesn't call me because he thinks I'm the best coach around. He calls me because we're comfortable with each other. We know uh, we know what we want to do out there together, and uh, uh, there's a respect factor there. Awesome. How much time are we at? We had an hour. We're an hour. John, thank you, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, no problem, on. man. I'm I sorry it took a long time, man. I what feel are you like talking I, about? No. no, I feel like I, uh, you know, you'd asked before, and I was always like, oh, I was in the middle of this, middle of that. I, I got a job that's kind of crazy hours times. I got a young family, so uh, oh man, I always knew I'd be in here at some point, man. But uh, I, I, uh, yeah, I'm glad we finally got a chance to do it when I had some time off. Absolutely, I wish. In you episode the best 300, man, I got to congratulate you a little bit, man. Uh, that's unbelievable. Uh, 300 is uh, is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, I'm glad I was able to come in here in a bigger. I know Nate wanted 299, but I was able to come in here in 300 and, and one up him a little bit. So it's a. Uh, but yeah. no, that's cool, man. I'm I, I continued success for you guys. You guys have come a long way, I'm sure, and uh, and you're doing a great job. I here. appreciate that, John. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. I wish you the best of luck this year. All right. All right. Thank you, man. Thank Everyone you. listening, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, I think we're gonna have maybe two more podcasts before the Christmas break. So stay tuned for those. Uh, shovel your driveways. We're out. Peace. See you later. Mm-hmm.